G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight talking message from the Word. What's God asking you to do? If God calls you to attempt something, you better believe and trust that He's always working on the other side of the camp. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. I hope you're getting a lot out of this series that we're in the middle of looking at Gideon's story in Judges. It's been long and detailed, but there's a lot in the epic story for us to apply to our lives today. Today, we'll hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's message on principle number six about how God is always working on the other side of the camp. We're partway through the message, so let's get back into it now on Today with Jeff Vines. Unfortunately, you and I are extremely impatient. We want things to go our way and in our timing. So we set out to accomplish again, something that is really good and honorable. We, we may have even heard from God, but we are impatient. So we don't wait to get the instructions of God because God knows what has to be done, no matter how ridiculous it may appear to us to win this victory, because he's been working on the other side of the camp all along. Do you remember the warning that God gave Gideon when all this started? He said, okay, Gideon, go ahead in your own strength. You save Israel out of the Midianites' hand. He says, am I not sending you? What does it mean? I'm sending you. So if I'm sending you, pay attention to my instructions. If God sends you to, listen, some of you are young and you're just starting out in ministry and life and God has given you this great vision. I've said all along that the thing I like about this young generation is they think outside the box. They're all, they have clever thoughts and how to accomplish a task that most of my generation just couldn't figure out how to accomplish it. But if you go ahead in your own understanding and your own wisdom and your own power, you will fail every time. You have to have intimacy with God. You have to learn to hear the voice of God. And you have to make sure that what you're doing is following the instructions of God, not your own passions, legitimate as they might be. I've experienced this in my life in ministry. When we did ministry in New Zealand, our church was growing by leaps and bounds. We had moved three different times from the, uh, the Christian school to a, a community center and then to Albany uh, University. And now... We were meeting in the Albany football stadium, a rugby stadium. And we were at the end of setting up, taking down. And I thought, God, surely we, we, we've got enough people here that you would provide a place for us to, to move into this community and to have great impact and influence. And sure enough, the Albany pub was for sale. I thought, what a perfect place. It had about 10 acres, plenty of land, plenty of buildings they were wanting to sell. And I 
prayed and I felt that God had led me to do this. Now, here's the problem though. Even though God had led us to do this, the timing was not appropriate. Uh, And I think the leaders in our church saw this uh, impatience in me and began to be concerned that they may become manipulated by something that I wanted to do that God necessarily wasn't in at this moment. So again, the objective was worthy. The calling was honorable, but I was so excited that I went out ahead of God. Did I hear the voice of God? Yes. Did I wait for instructions? No. Was it a worthy objective? Yes. Was I wise in the way I progressed or went about it? No. If God calls you to do something, you better believe that he's working on the other side of the camp. You need to ask God for clear directions and then listen and watch. And no matter how difficult it is, once you get the instructions, trust, obey, and move forward. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something, but you said in your own doubt, God, that'll never work. Do you know that in your weakness, that's when you are at your best. That's when your strength comes to the surface because you have to depend on God because your wisdom can't fathom it. Most of us never try anything difficult enough to need the power and the wisdom of God. We live very safe lives. It's the antithesis to the wildlife. And let me tell you, it's boring and your soul disintegrates a little bit every day. God has been fashioning and orchestrating events in the past to have you interact with a specific situation at precisely the right time for the ultimate victory. And I'm telling you, we miss out on the greatest adventures of our lives because we seem determined to move out ahead of God. And life is so much more fulfilling and exciting if you would take these disciplines that God has instructed you to take possession of, prayer and intimacy, the word of God penetrating into your deep, deepest spiritual constitution so that when God is ready to deploy you for the greatest adventures of your life, God would speak, you would hear, he would lead, he would equip, and you would achieve the greatest victories of your life. You know, I told you in this series, we're gonna talk about some familiar stories that we've talked about in the past because I think it helps solidify, solidifies where we're going. One of my favorite stories that I've told in recent history is of a man by the name of Charlie Stolfus. Tony Campalo, great preacher, preaching in Pennsylvania. He says, I arrived at this church They told me to be there an hour early. They took me back in this room and began to pray for me. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And here you have eight strong, burly men leaning on my bald head. They had me kneel down on the carpet. And my neck is about to break because these guys won't stop praying. I thought, man, let's get into the church building. Let's do some preaching. But no, they wanted to keep praying. And he said, what really really ticked me off is they weren't even praying for me. They kept praying for some dude by the name of Charlie Stolfus. And they would pray, God, we pray for Charlie Stolfus. He's just left his wife and small children. You know God, Charlie, who lives down the road, a mile away from the church on the right-hand side in a silver trailer. Campolo writes in his book, he said, I don't, I don't know what these, think, what, what these guys thought, what they think God is like. Do they think God has to be reminded where Charlie Stolfus lives? But they keep repeating it over and over. You know, God, Charlie Stolfus, he lives down the road on the right-hand side, one mile in a silver trailer. Campalo said he'd had enough of that. Finally, it was time. The prayer was over. He preached a sermon, got in his car, and started heading down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. As he did, he noticed a hitchhiker. And Campalo says, I love picking up hitchhikers because I've got a captive audience. There's nowhere they can go. So if I want to talk about Jesus, they have to listen pulls over, the guy gets in the car. 
Campalo says, I'm driving down the road. There's about a minute of silence. And then I turn to my new friend and I say, hey, I'm Tony Campalo. What's your name? He says, my name's Charlie Stolfus. Campalo said he was just about, he just about passed out from excitement and from surprise. He looked at Charlie Stolfus and he said, well, Charlie, you're running away from your wife and kids, aren't you? Now, when he said that, Stolfus plastered himself on the passenger door. How do you know that? And he said, you really should have seen the look on his face when I took him right to his home. He couldn't believe that I knew where he lived. You know, a mile up the road on the right-hand side in the silver trailer. We pulled it in the driveway. And he said, how do you know where I live? And he said, God told me. And he went up to the front porch and his wife and his kids were there. They embraced and they're all talking and looking at Tony Campalo as if he's some kind of an angel. And Campalo gets out of his car and says, you're gonna stay with your wife and you're gonna make this work. Campalo finishes the story by reminding us that Charlie Stolfus and his wife are pastors now today in Southern California. But you know who the real hero in this story is? I always told it as if Tony Campalo was the real hero. He was not. It was the wife of Charlie Stolfus. Do you not think she was praying? God, bring my husband home. Bring the father of my children back. Do you not think God was orchestrating and fashioning together events to answer her prayer? Do you not think this is a great woman of faith who believed that whatever she prays, God is always working on the other side of the camp? And then God spoke through Kampalo in a prayer that had nothing to do with him. He obeyed, he followed, and yes, both were involved. But the point is this, God will always work, orchestrate, fashion events on the other side of the camp when we go to him with our most extravagant, eternal endeavors in order that we may experience the victory. Do you remember the story I told you last Christmas? I love it. It came out of Swan Quarter, North Carolina. On a rainy afternoon, 144 summers ago, as a stack of sworn statements and legal documents legitimize, the Methodists who lived in Swan Quarter, North Carolina, had no church building and they desperately needed one. They had hired a fiery young preacher who was preaching the gospel and the word of God like no one that had ever preached before, at least in their churches. So the church was flourishing. The spirit of God was moving and they knew they needed a new place to worship, a new building, something that would hold them and give them influence in their community. So after much searching, they actually obtained a lot in a place called Oyster Creek Road. But there was a problem. It was far from the downtown ideal plot the pastor believed God had called them to. The pastor believed this is not where God wants us. He's given us this plot downtown for great influence. Unfortunately, the wealthy landowner would not sell the property to the church. So the Methodists, after trying month after month, finally, the Methodists of Swan Quarter had to build a sanctuary in a less desirable flood plain. Do you know what that is? You have all these low-lying communities that are especially susceptible to the heavy rains and floods. And so you can purchase property there. It's cheaper, but you never know when Mother Nature is going to storm in and destroy everything that you've built. On Sunday, September the 16th, 1876, there was a joyous dedication ceremony that opened the doors of the new sanctuary. It was a time of rejoicing. Unfortunately, three days later, terrible storms blasted Swan Quarter. All day long, the wind howled, the rain came down in a gray wall of water. And after days of darkness, three days of darkness and rain, the residents of Swan Quarter walked outside to investigate the damage. They saw a desolate landscape ravaged by nature, 
but those within the sight of Oyster Creek beheld the most incredible sight they'd ever seen in their lives. Still written about to this day. You can still Google this story. The church, the Swan Quarter Methodist Church, the whole building was floating down the street. The community began to fashion ropes and try to lasso this like you would a horse or a cow or a bull, just trying to lash hold the church and everybody tied ropes to every end they could grab and pull the church away from this drifting down before it went into the ocean. More and more people joined in, more and more rope tied, more and more people pulled to no avail. For two blocks, the townspeople fought the ropes to hold it back unsuccessfully. And then in the same decisive manner with which it had moved, the church building veered off the road as if to float upstream. It was a miraculous thing. And the church building began to head for the center of town on a vacant lot in the middle of the town, a prime location indeed. And then the church suddenly, as quickly as it began to float, dropped invisible anchor and just stopped and settled in. And then while the floodwaters receded, the church remained and is still there to this day. Over 144 Septembers have passed since this little church, this little white frame church building removed itself from these low-lying areas to the most desirable property in Swan Quarter. The choice Highland lot, by the way, where the chapel finally settled was the first choice of the pastor who told them this is where God wanted the church to become. And the shrewd, prosperous landowner whose property it was, who had originally turned them down and would not sell, the story goes, but the next morning after the flood, after discovering the church in the middle of his lot, that same landowner went to the Methodist minister and with trembling hands presented him with the deed. <laughs> God said, this is where I want my church to be. Man said, no, I will not surrender this property. God said, then I'll use the weather to change your mind. What's God asking you to do? And everybody around you is telling you, you can't do it. Oh, that's too big. It's too hard. It's too extravagant. And who do you think you are to attempt such a thing? If God calls you to attempt something, you better believe. You better obey and trust that he's always working on the other side of the camp. He's doing things that you don't know about. He's working on the other side. The problem is most of us give up a little too soon. We go down this road, it gets difficult. We don't really trust that God's doing something over here. And of course, he's preparing everything for the situation at the right time and right place when you who have been patient and you have endured and you continue to go down that road, suddenly a door opens and there you have it. Most people give up far too easily and far too soon because they lack intimacy with God. They don't hear the voice of God, which means they don't receive the encouragement from God to keep going. Do you understand how this works? This whole order of things? God is going to do something supernatural in you. He calls his agent. He equips his agent. He builds his faith in God's faithfulness. He instructs his agent. He orchestrates and fashions events together. He commands his agent to trust and deploy. I think of the people in our church who are accomplishing or attempting something that is honorable and worthy. Maybe they're praying for the salvation of somebody close to them. Maybe they're praying for the restoration of relationships in their own life. Maybe they're praying for guidance on how to end this relationship that is 
destroying them or how to begin this relationship that they believe is of God. Can I say to you, once you hear from God, make sure that you understand the timing. He's always orchestrating events on the other side. But had Gideon run ahead of God, he would have been ultimately defeated. If you run ahead of God, you won't have the instructions for the right time and the right place that lead to ultimate victories. Listen to God, be patient. When the time is right, you'll know it. I guess the message this weekend is that you're not alone in these extravagant endeavors. Don't ever believe that for a moment. Because with the call of God, not only comes the power and the wisdom of God to enable you to do it. Not only with the call of God, does God commit to equip you for the greatest victories of your life, but then you have to remember, if God calls you, you've got an entire host of heaven working on your side. Remember what Elisha's servant said to Elisha when he came out and he saw this huge army? Well, let me read it for you. It's in 2 Kings 16. When the servant of the man of God, the man of God is Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can I tell you something? With the call of God comes the promise of God that you're not in this on your own, man. You've got the host of heaven pulling for you and orchestrating and fashioning events all around you in all of these other camps to achieve his purpose in your life at the right time and the right place. Whenever God calls you to do something, promise yourself that you'll remember this. With the call of God comes the promise of God to equip you for the task and to orchestrate events on the other side of the camp. And your job is to listen and obey and have faith in the faithfulness of God. So can I ask you, what has God been calling you to do for so long? Three words. It's your move. It's your move. Trust, obey, seek the wisdom of God. You know, this past week was a very special week. And I wanna show you this photo right now appearing on the screen of a young man that I was able to baptize right here. The story's quite remarkable though, because I see now how God orchestrated everything. This young man's name is Gabe and Gabe is very sharp. He's kind of the leader of his family. He's young, I think he's barely 19, but he's been searching and asking a lot of questions. And I think asking the difficult questions of life is a good thing because they always lead you ultimately to God. And so he's asking difficult questions. Now, at the same time he's asking questions, I show up at the golf course on a Tuesday afternoon and there's a young man who says, Pastor Jeff, do you mind if I join you? And his name is Josh Granger. He's an incredible golfer, hits the ball a mile. And so I enjoyed playing with Josh. So we started playing more regularly together. And then he started asking me questions because these were questions that his cousin Gabe was asking. So God puts us together, puts them together, and little by little questions get answered. And suddenly we've crossed all the boundaries and Gabe decides he wants to be baptized. We meet here this past week. We get the baptismal ready. His family shows up, none of whom are believers. And they watch this sharp young man dedicate and give his life to Jesus. And we baptized him into Jesus. And I think, 
how many moving parts occurred so that this incredible, extravagant, eternal event could occur. So many moving parts. And now it's just the beginning because who knows what Gabe's testimony will do to the rest of his family, his mother, his father, his sister, his friends. They were all there. One last time. What about you? How how long has it been that God has been calling you into his kingdom? I mean, how how long are you going to watch and wait but never make a move? How long will you feel convicted that... Uh, Christ follower, this is the, the answer to the deepest, most penetrating questions of your life. How long before you realize that this world has nothing to offer you? And there's only two types of people. The ones who live as though there is no God and yet ask the questions of meaning and purpose when meaning and purpose cannot exist apart from God. And yet those people who have discovered there is a God and he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. I wanna give you an invitation right now. At One and All Church, we say that God sends everyone an invitation. And sooner or later, you've got to RSVP. R, you repent and say, I'm sorry for living as though you do not exist. S, I'm sorry for going my way. I repent. I'm sorry for thinking the whole world's about me and my glory. And then you verbalize your trust. You say, I trust Christ as my savior to forgive me of my sin. And then you plunge your past in baptism, just like my friend Gabe did this week. Do that. Don't wait another moment. Strike while the iron is hot, while the conviction of God is upon you. Don't quench the fire of the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit of God who is opening your eyes as the eyes of Elisha's servant have been opened, that those who are for you outnumber those who are against you. I'm telling you, the hosts of heaven are ready to use you for grand purposes, to take every event of your life and accomplish something that will last forever. I pray for you today. I pray in Christ's name. Well, that is the end of principle number six. There's just one more principle to take out of this epic story of Gideon found in Judges chapter seven. It's been great watching Gideon's faith and trust in God grow through the passage. So join us next time as we bring this series to a close with principle number seven. God delays judgment and justice for a purpose. Here's the point. God's timing seldom coincides with your and my timing. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.